Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host tonight. And I'm joined once again by my Bezzy M, Tony Kerr. Hello. How's it going this week, Tone? Uh, yeah, it's going well. It is going well. How are you? I'm good. We're doing this on Skype again, aren't we? It's a bit weird because my computer is on a, a surface that's a lot lower than me. So I'm kind of, it's like I'm leaning over you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is, and I'm leaning back because I feel like you're kind of, you're a bit imposing. You're leaning back, so I'm like looming over you like I'm yeah. 15 feet tall. <laughs> it's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, how are you doing? You look extremely relaxed there. I'm very relaxed. I've been working hard today. Did you enjoy the bank holiday? Yeah, it was good apart from working. Yeah, yeah you've been in Jersey, haven't you? Did you watch any cricket this weekend? There was a test match on. I don't know if you heard. I heard something about it, yeah. They, they were talking about it in Jersey, yeah. I... Was over there for the weekend. Listeners know, of course, that we we live and record in Guernsey, Jersey, the other Channel Island. It's just over there for a little weekend, uh, and I've got to say, it was absolutely glorious. Tone, don't tell anyone in Guernsey that I said that, but it was absolutely glorious. Lovely weekend. No, I don't, I don't believe it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I managed to keep up with the cricket. I mean, I didn't really see any of it on uh, Saturday, but I caught up with the highlights, and yes, enjoyed it all on Sunday and Monday. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, Test Cricket's back, isn't it? Did it ever go away? I suppose it did over the winter. It literally went to the West Indies, yeah. I mean, it's lucky, isn't it, really, that we've got this podcast, otherwise how would we talk about all this bloody stuff that's happening in cricket at the moment? There's a real danger this could be like a three-hour episode. Oh, that's so much, because we haven't recorded one since the all the Peterson stuff. England have got a new coach. It's ludicrous. I'm pretty glad we didn't record one last week or you know did a glad we didn't do a new zealand series preview because we would be scrambling to kind of a, a recall would be underway right now wouldn't it it'd be a root and branch schofield report going pretty, on yeah. about the uh, the world cricket show because yeah no I, I literally had that exact thought earlier whereas now we can actually come on here and be like yeah i know we expected england to start the series brilliantly yeah i was i was fully expecting a, a stokes century <laughs> I was expecting England to go one nil up, no trouble. No, I am really glad because had we recorded a preview show, uh, my pre-summer prediction was going to be six nil, one test in, and that is already wrong. <laughs> well, I expect a lot of people around the country would already have ripped up their seven nil betting slips. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's been a it was an extraordinary performance from England it was an extraordinary test match I mean not only did England win a game of cricket which was kind of unexpected uh, but they won one of the best games of cricket that we've seen for quite a long time so yeah New Zealand won the toss didn't they at Lords and they put England into bat uh, and that looked to be a good decision because England were in all kinds of trouble 
after 12 overs, they were 30 for four. At which point you'd written them off. At which point I was frantically tweeting <laughs> uh, my displeasure. But but then they were quite an extraordinary recovery, uh, led by Joe Root, who made 98, and Ben Stokes, 92, uh, from just 94 balls. Uh, half centuries as well for Josh Butler and Moen Alley meant England got up to 389, uh, which they would have bitten your hand off if you'd offered them at 30 for four, but still, you know, didn't necessarily put them in a uh, in an unassailable position. And indeed, New Zealand went some distance past that total. They eventually got 523. Uh, Kane Williamson with a century. Uh, and that gave them a pretty sizable first innings lead. And it looked like they were on course for victory when they reduced England for, to 25 for two. And when Ian Bell was out on the fourth morning, it really did seem as though the game was up for England. But then... It was all about two men. It was about Alistair Cook, who returned to form with an extraordinary 162, and Ben Stokes, the fastest ever century at Lords, the second fastest century ever by an England player, 101 from 92 balls. Uh, meant that in the end, it was England who were chasing victory. They were all out for 4-7-8, set New Zealand 3-4-5. Jimmy Anderson got rid of Martin Guptill with the second delivery. New Zealand were then reduced to 12 for three, uh, and despite some fighting from BJ Watling and Corey Anderson. Uh, they eventually subsided to 220 all-out. Stuart Broad taking three wickets and Ben Stokes three wickets. Uh, so England won the game by 124 runs. So yeah, Tony, as I say, I mean, this was an astonishing turnaround. To go from 30 for four on the first morning to eventually win and win by 120-odd runs. A pretty incredible performance, and it? It added up, as I say, to a truly fantastic game of cricket. I mean, this is something close to the, the perfect test match, wasn't it? it? It is. It got me thinking. I mean, I guess if you play enough test matches, you know, most of them will have too many runs scored, won't they? And they'll be deadly boring. Uh, most of them will have too many wickets taken and they'll be exciting, but they won't last very long. Whereas, I guess, the law of averages suggests at some point, you know, you, you can have a test match that, you know, some test matches that will last the perfect amount of time and be really exciting. And I think this is one of them. So it's luck, really, mate, more than I think. So your theory is that uh, most test matches will have too many runs and also most test matches will have too many wickets, not enough runs. <laughs> well, yeah, I've not explained that brilliantly, but you know, I think you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, if you play enough test matches, eventually one comes along that's really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, essentially. And that's... That's true of anything in life, isn't it? You, you have enough days, one of them will be sunny. You record enough podcasts and eventually <laughs> eventually you produce something. <laughs> still waiting. I, still, I think if we can do about three, four hundred of these. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, some have got too much of me, some have got too much of you. If you do, yeah, keep doing it, we'll have the right balance. It was a very, very exciting test match. It, 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 possibly the test match I followed most closely for quite a while, really. I mean, it... it throughout the whole course of the five days, you know, often, you know, test matches will go by where, you know, I'll miss a whole day for whatever, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, but this, you just couldn't miss, you almost couldn't miss any of it. Yeah, so fantastic test, probably, you know, possibly the best since 2005, do you think, Edgbaston? In England, yeah, possibly. I mean, I don't want to fall into the trap of Everyone always gets carried away with whatever's the most recent thing is the best thing. And this happens... Are you saying I'm getting carried away? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, this happens <laughs> a lot. And we do it a lot on this show, don't we? It's whatever is the most recent Test 100 by an England batsman is the best Test 100 by an England batsman. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of stuff. I wouldn't say it's definitively the best since 2005, but it's 
one of the best. Not yet. It's up there. It's got to be up there, yeah, because it was just the way it ebbed and flowed. Well, I mean, the, at various times, it seemed like England were on the ropes, and then they produced a turnaround. Well, yeah, exactly. You say it ebbed and flowed. I mean, New Zealand really, New Zealand really should be and will be kicking themselves because they won this game about four times. Uh, and still, somehow England came out on top. And I, yeah, in your little preamble there, you know, you said that Alistair Cook and Ben Stokes won England the game, uh, which is true. But uh, arguably more important, really overall contribution-wise, I think yeah, Joe Root meant England didn't lose at least twice in that game. Yeah, well, I mean, and he was supported by Ben Stokes in the first innings as well. I mean, everyone's talking about Stokes's second innings hundred, and and rightly so to a large extent. But actually. His first things runs were, if anything, more important because coming in at thirty for four there, you know, if he'd fallen cheaply, it really would have been game over on the first morning, and we'd have been talking about a very, very different Test match. I do get a bit frustrated though. I mean, extraordinary knock from Stokes, but all the same people, all the same commentators who absolutely lambast people like Peterson. I mean, specifically Peterson, but anyone that you know comes in in a dangerous situation, plays their shots and holds out on the boundary gets called brainless, stupid, what are they thinking, pathetic, they've thrown it away. But Stokes comes in, plays some big hook shots, a couple of top edges, one that was a drop catch, and, you know, it's all like, oh, he's just he really backs himself, doesn't he? He really backs himself to, to score these runs. And and that I, I think that, I mean, that's that's my view, that good on Stokes for, for playing in that way, and that's the way that you should play if you're capable of doing it. But don't then get really angry with people for having the same strategy but just getting it slightly wrong. That's not brainless, is it? It's just, you know, it just didn't work out. But anyway, that's a that's another point altogether. It was, yeah, it was absolutely extraordinary, wasn't it? And you've got to say a lot of credit has to go to the groundsman because he produced a terrific pitch there. I mean, a record number of runs for a test match at Lords, but yet it very rarely seemed like the bowlers weren't in the game. It, like, it wasn't a flat pitch, was it? It was just, uh, it was a true pitch. It sort of came onto the bat well and flew off the bat well, but it always gave the bowlers something. Well, yeah, you just have to look at the scorecard, don't you? I think, uh, you know, you've got players scoring big centuries and and players getting nipped out first first ball or or you know even just a few a few dozen deliveries. So a terrific pitch all round. It was, and yeah, it just meant that in the end it, it produced an extraordinary game in that final day. Whether or not that's one of the best Test matches since two thousand five, I think it probably was. Certainly the final day was one of the best days of cricket in England for a long time, just in terms of atmosphere. It's an incredible atmosphere at Lords with a sort of bank holiday crowd. But also I think this thing that's been building up for quite a long time with English cricket being in the doldrums, it's it's not been a happy situation to be an England fan for the last sort of four to 14 months. So as the wickets were tumbling on the final day, just a kind of outpouring of relief from the crowd, you know, it, it was finally something to enjoy for England fans. The ECB, I don't know where they've pulled this one out, but they've, they've gone away with it a bit because they could not have wished for a better first test of the summer from, from their perspective. Uh, as you say, the relief of you know what has been pretty torrid. You know, the West Indies series, obviously the result didn't go England's way, but it, at times it was, it was pretty dire, really. And then, and then you get this you know, enthralling batting performance. You know, Alistair Cook back. You know, no, Peterson barely mentioned throughout the whole thing. Uh, and again, against a good team, you know, if it'd been Zimbabwe or someone like this, you know, uh, and England won, it, you know, it wouldn't have mattered half as much. But everyone thought this New Zealand team, and you know, I don't think England have this series 
wrapped up by any means, do they? I mean, I've, you'd expect New Zealand at least to go in as joint, or you know, level on, on kind of level on odds with England to the next one. I wouldn't put England as favourites for Headingley, certainly. No, I don't know. I think you've hit a nail on the head. Really, it's, it's because this feels like a real achievement. England have have in the last year in Test cricket played three series: Sri Lanka, India, and West Indies. And you'd say that they're probably the three uh, weakest of the the major eight sides. Uh, and they've not always excelled against those sides. So to then come up against New Zealand, who are a, a, a real team, um, a, a seriously good team, as we say, I think we were we were feeling very nervous about what was going to happen, and fearing that it was going to be uh, pretty ugly. So to to not only win but to produce really quite an exciting performance, you know, I I, I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? That's why people are getting so excited and that's been reflected in the fact that the cricket was on the front pages of virtually all the newspapers today and for the right reasons like you said the ECB must be over the moon because the only time that cricket has been in the news lately has been because of ECB incompetence and so to actually be on the front pages for a great performance by the England cricket team you know that's they couldn't have asked for anything more I mean let's let's not get too carried away you know, because we did get a little bit carried away after the winning Grenada and said, oh, you know, England are back. Uh, and then obviously we know what happened in Barbados. And like you say, there's every chance that New Zealand will bounce back at Headingley and then the Aussies to come after that who are an even tougher proposition. This could still turn out to be a very difficult summer for the England team. But this win at Lords does suggest that England will at least be competitive. And, and that's the thing. I think I was worried that England weren't going to be competitive in any of the test matches this summer I thought it could be a real bloodbath even if they find things much more difficult after now they should at least be in the game a lot it, it suggests that they're going to be in with a chance yeah definitely I agree and you know I think that was why it was it was so amazing to see England come through on that final day because you know you said it could get ugly I mean it, it was pretty ugly on that first morning wasn't it it's like the, your worst fears were becoming realized at that point and you thought well we've got three more four more months of this and, and Headingley is going to be a great contest as well. You know, as we saw, you know, Kane Williamson looked good again. Uh, Bolt got wickets. You know, Southie obviously had a few problems, but if he, you know, he'll be better, you'd assume, at, uh, at Headingley. So it will be, that's going to be an interesting test. But I think as well, you know, I guess we'll talk about it in a moment. But the fact that this test match happened and that the, way, the way it happened and the way England won, then they also sorted out the coaching situation in what appears to be a pretty positive appointment, uh, you know, it's, it's all looking pretty good at the moment. It's been a good day or two. Happy days are here again, Tone. It's back, mate. It's back. Happy days are here again. I mean, that's, that's like I said, I don't want to get carried away, but we have been very critical of England over the last, you know, sort of four to 25 months, and rightly so, because they've been awful <laughs> to a large extent. When they then put in a performance like this, it's only fair and it's also very pleasing to be able to praise them, to, to not have to be so critical anymore. And I mean, what what were the keys to it then? Clearly one of them was Ben Stokes and we've talked about him a little bit, but it was a magnificent all-round display, not only with the bat, but also with the ball and, you know, two crucial wickets and two balls on the final day. Williamson and McCullum, pretty major wickets, you'd have to say. Uh, it's all boycott in the Telegraph today saying we haven't seen this sort of performance from an England player since both of them, which is a little bit strange because presumably he's ignoring Flintoff for a start, various other people as well, and possibly a slight overstatement. But it was no denying that, you know, a couple of special knocks 
and just generally a special performance from Stokes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's nothing more exciting in cricket than someone teeing off uh, or wickets falling in quick succession. I mean, a, a wicket is exciting, but it's doubly exciting when two fall in two balls. Uh, it's kind of it's, it goes up in it's like exponential increase in excitement, isn't it? As as each wicket or kind of six or four uh, happens. So I mean, that was an incredible double bill. Stokes nipping out Williamson and then McCullum. Yeah, and it put the icing on the cake as I say for a really incredible game for him. And obviously, people are really really talking him up. And there's a temptation to say, well, uh, let's not get carried away about it. And we shouldn't get carried away, but at the same time, you know, Andrew Flintoff couldn't have put in a better performance than this. It's almost not possible to put in a better performance than this for an all-rounder. So, yes, he's got a lot more to do to back it up, but, you know, he deserves all the praise that's coming his way because two, basically he played two match-winning innings, took some crucial wickets as well. And, yeah, I don't know about those comparisons to both, but I think the Flintoff comparisons are possibly more relevant, if only because he is the first all-rounder that England have had since Flintoff I'm not sure that he'll end up being quite as good a bowler as Flintoff was because you know in in his prime Flintoff was just about the best fast bowler in the world I doubt Stokes is going to get there but he could be a better batsman than Flintoff he's got a better technique and and really looks like a a test match number six well that's the thing is that you know Flintoff as he got older became all about the bowling and actually his batting was just you know an occasional cameo but uh but yeah, if it's the other way round with Stokes, then then all, all the better, you know. If he, yeah, if he's if he's a regular regular contributor of, of runs and quick runs and, and nips a few wickets out, then that's that's great as well. And he's you know he hits ninety miles an hour. He's he's a genuine bowler. Perhaps not going to have the the cutting edge that Flintoff used to have. But you know he he did bowl well in this game. And actually, in general, England's bowling looked heaps better, I thought, than it did in the Caribbean. Two main reasons for that. Firstly, the addition of Mark Wood, uh, who I thought had a great debut. He looked really sharp, genuinely quick again, over 90 miles an hour. Took a crucial wicket on the fifth day, breaking the partnership, getting rid of uh, BJ Watling. Overall, perhaps didn't get the rewards that he might have done, but just gave Alistair Cook a different option, didn't he? This was the thing in the Caribbean, was that it was all a bit samey, with Broad not really bowling that well. Stokes not taking the wickets that he might have done. Jordan didn't really give Cook anything different to either of those. Wood is a different option. He's he's quick and he's sort of skiddy. Um, it's a different kind of bowler, and that just adds a bit of variety to the attack, and that's pretty important. Uh, but also, yeah, I mentioned Stuart Broad, and he didn't bowl that one in the Caribbean, but he he bowled really well here, and that's a, a massive boost for England when when Broad bowls well. You know, I was quite worried about him in the Caribbean. I was worried about his long term future because he he didn't bowl great. He he was way down on pace. And since he had that surgery last autumn, he's he's been fairly ineffectual at a, a poor World Cup. But here, he looked like a strike bowler again, didn't he, Tony? He looked like the old Stuart Broad. I mean, you keep telling him to pitch the ball up. He's listening to you at last. Yeah, I don't think I'm the only one. I, you, know, I, you never know when he's bowling short, whether he's trying, you know, whether it's someone's in his ear saying, look, bowl short, or whether he's just, that's, you know, he can't quite make the subtle adjustment. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he got it up in the end of this match and and took six wickets in the match. So uh, he looks very good, and if he he'll be an absolute menace this summer if he bowls like this uh, consistently throughout the seven tests. I mean, there's there's a recurring theme in this episode, which is let's not get carried away, uh, because you know obviously England bowled superbly well on the final day, but they did concede 500 in the first innings. Uh, there's still some concerns about the bowling attack. 
a major one being this problem with the spinner, which I talk about on pretty much every episode of this show. Uh, but, you know, New Zealand did target Mo and Ali and they targeted him pretty successfully. And at some point that is going to start to become a concern, particularly because I just the, the balance of the team is a bit off. It's very useful to have Mo and Ali batting at number eight. He's got a half century in the first innings. And I think it makes more sense to have Stokes at six, Butler seven, and Moeen at eight rather than Butler at eight or Stokes at eight. But if Moeen is number eight, then he's in, his main job in the team, the reason he's in the team, is as a bowler. He's he's there as a bowler and his batting is a bonus because if that wasn't the case, he'd be batting higher up. But then you've got to ask, well, are there better options? Is Moeen the, better, the, the best spin bowler out there? It might be that he is, and it might be that this is just, you know, we're, we're just going to have to work with the best we've got and that's Moeen but if there's someone out there potentially Rashid I'm just not sure that Moeen is is going to worry anyone that he's coming up against and you know with a lot of cricket to be played this year and potentially on in situations where he's going to be asked to to carry a lot more responsibility that is a bit of a problem for me yeah so he's got a very very big summer ahead of him it's you know if he if he comes through the summer with a few wickets in the bag, then he's he's, he's set, isn't he, for a few for for foreseeable. But uh, if he can't have an impact, then he, he he is in a position to get cut at some point. But I mean, there are question marks. You say, let, you know, let's not get carried away. Hashtag. Say, let's not get carried away. It's a long hashtag. This you know much vaunted New Zealand bowling attack conceded 478 in the third innings. So. Things change in this match. There were runs in the pitch. Yeah, there were runs in the pitch. I mean, there there are question marks. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In the, in the England team, you know, well, we didn't really see much of Lai, did we? But then he's, he's been slight, that's hidden by the other performances. Also, Bell and Balance. I mean, that when Bell, ben, uh, when Bell got out, uh, was it third ball of the day on the Sunday? You know, at that point, the game looked over. It looked like they were going to run through us, but actually, yeah, that that strength of Root Stokes shone through. Well, and Cook, don't don't forget about Cook. I mean, he's well, scored. Well, yes, okay. So <laughs> he scored what 160 odds. He batted across three days in the second innings. I mean, I'm not sure I've ever been more pleased to see a player score 100. I mean, he got that 100 in Barbados, and that you know was hugely significant. But it was in a losing cause. It was also against the West Indies attack, which is. Very decent, isn't it? Jerome Taylor, an excellent bowler. But to score it against this New Zealand attack that everyone's been talking up, and rightly so, and for it to be a you know a absolutely vital knock in, in securing a, a win, I was just so pleased for him. And, and it's it's really good news for the England team because an in-form Alistair Cook 
improves England like crazy, and he is in form. Last summer he was, you know, getting some runs towards the back end against India, wasn't he? He got a couple of 50s, and that was really encouraging, but he actually wasn't in good form. He was getting runs, but they were ugly runs. But he's obviously gone away. Couldn't have been better for him than in the end that he, he lost the captaincy. He might not think that, um, but it, it gave him a chance to not play the World Cup, to go away, work on his game. And he's come back, and ever since the Caribbean, he just looks better. His movements are much better. His head position is better. He just looks like the old cook. And that's got to be a really good thing for England. And that's a miracle almost, isn't it? I mean, to, to revive that would be something pretty special because before that massive dip in form, yeah, he was pretty astonishing. So, uh, yeah, as you say, I mean, if, if Cook plays well, that England batting lineup, balance-wise, just almost levels out perfectly, doesn't it? When you look at Gary what... balance. <laughs> Gary balances out perfectly, isn't it? Uh, That's the gift look... that keeps on giving, really, isn't it? It, it is, it? isn't the it, fact, yeah. The fact that he's called Gary balance. You can... But, yeah, see, I mean, with Cook doing what he does and Root... And Stokes, and hopefully Bell and Balance as well. But if, if Bell and Balance was coming to form, you know that that England batting lineup suddenly looks terrifying for, for the opposition. I'd say Bell and Balance sound like the most unintimidating cop duo <laughs> I've ever heard of. <laughs> it's really funny. You're so relaxed that you're now leaning back so far <laughs> that I can't even see you anymore. I'm just looking at just looking at your desk, and you're twiddling a pen around. I can see that. Yeah, I've just spun around and put my legs up on them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm on a conference call to like New York now. Just... You're like a very a very confident district attorney. <laughs> uh, I think like Joe Root is like quickly becoming my favourite player in the single team. He's got good banter, hasn't he? And I hesitate to use the word banter, but he has. Well, got... I'm quite right. <laughs> he has got good, good banter. It's not, it's not for his banter. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's like obviously he's an excellent player, but he's, you know, the way he, every situation he plays at the moment, he's playing perfectly. He scores at a great rate. He's always got a grin on his face. He just looks like he's enjoying it so much. That's what I mean. And like a, a huge criticism of the England team over the last couple of years has been that they've looked like they're fearful or they, they're annoyed a lot of the time. They're quite irritable. <laughs> uh, they're not a very likable team. And then suddenly in this game, you know, the addition of Mark Wood, he was brought in in a kind of Steve Smith role because he's a funny lad. Um, <laughs> he he apparently was uh, reducing the, the dressing room to uh, to hysterics quite a bit. And then, yeah, Joe Root as well. It was quite a funny moment on Sky where he was obviously listening to the Sky commentary on his ear and Atherton was talking and the camera was on Root and he was pretending to be asleep, the Joker. <laughs> It was quite funny. It just suddenly there's a much better, much better vibe around the England team. It just seemed like they were enjoying themselves a bit more, and that you know that's got to be a, a good thing. If only in that it will get the public on their side a bit more, and the public just haven't really been on their side for quite a long time. Yeah, I mean, penny for Kevin Peterson's thoughts at the moment. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I I suspect that the mood at ECB Towers is quite a bit chirpier than it was a week or two ago. Yeah. Uh, as we say, we haven't done an episode since KP Gate, the most recent KP Gate. I still can't see Tony, by the way. Ever <laughs> since I said that, he's not actually moved back into shot. He's still got his feet up on the desk. Although he's turned the computer around. There he is. There's his cheeky little face. <laughs> cheeky grin. Will people forget about Peterson now? Will this result mean that? It depends what happens in the rest of the summer, I suppose. It shouldn't and it doesn't get the ECB off the hook 
my concern now is that the ECB will think, oh well, that's that's our decision vindicated. But actually, it was such a such a monumentally catastrophically. Yeah. How many more adverbs can I use? Uh, diabolically poorly handled situation that by everyone at the ECB, and it, this shouldn't cover that up. I think, as I said before, is what you know. It's, I don't know quite how they've got away with it. Really, it's interesting. But I mean, for Peterson, who's you know, much is made of his arrogance and his desire to be the kind of main man, coming off the pitch with his triple hundred a couple of weeks ago, he must have thought, you know, I, you know, I'm back. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be leading the team. I'm going to be smashing runs. It, it's all good again. You know, it, it doesn't happen for him. He gets stood up by Andrew Strauss in person, effectively, and then uh, and then suddenly, like Ben Stokes is the, the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, I I was I was absolutely hopping mad about the whole Peterson situation, but I didn't even necessarily want him to be back in the team because at the moment there's not necessarily a place for him back in the team. But I'm not sure that even Peterson expected to be back in the team. He just wanted to be told that he could be back in the team if a position opened up. And and this is the thing that you know, Colin Graves came out and said, "Oh, I never promised Peterson that he'd be back in the team." No, he didn't, but he, he, what he promised was that he'd be available for selection, that they would consider him for selection, uh, and that's exactly what they've told him that they won't do. And, you know, for Graves to come out and complain that people are questioning his integrity because he's saying, you know, I can't believe people are questioning my integrity. My integrity's, you know, my, my integrity's everything to me. Well, if you don't want people to question your integrity... Don't do things that make people question your integrity, like essentially lie or go back on your word and pretend that you haven't. Uh, I, I could talk about this Peterson thing all night, Tone, so do you want me to? I think people are bored of it as well, maybe. <laughs> Not just you, but because of the whole situation, yeah. Just bored of the podcast, you mean? <laughs> no, I think that's probably true. and so I don't want to go on about it. I still wouldn't say that they've 100% put it to bed. At the moment, it feels like... You are going to go on about it. At the moment, it feels like it has been put to bed <laughs> because of what's happened at Lords. But, you know, like I say, there's a lot of cricket left to be played this summer. And while England look like they're going to be competitive, they could still find things very difficult. And so we'll see. We will see whether this is the last we've heard about it. But I agree, we should probably leave it there on the on the Peterson front. One piece of news that has emerged from ECB Towers is that uh, today, Tuesday, they announced that Trevor Bayliss has been appointed as the new England coach, given the job ahead of Jason Gillespie, who was thought to be the favourite. Did this come as a surprise to you, Tony? Well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, it was a surprise in so much as we heard yesterday that he was the front runner for the job. <laughs> well, the actual announcement wasn't a surprise. Well, the announcement today was. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, he wasn't yeah. necessarily someone who was named, was he? He wasn't. He wasn't banded around last week for example well no they were only talking about Gillespie weren't they but he did you know he was one of the the strong candidates for the job a year ago so yeah I mean I was surprised because I it seemed mm. like Gillespie was a shoo-in but you know looking back on it it wasn't that the ECB was saying that it's that the media was saying that and perhaps just assuming that because it didn't seem like there were many other candidates but perhaps people were assuming that Bayless didn't want the job but if he wants the job you know, he's, he's clearly a, an extremely strong candidate because he's got a very good track record in international cricket. And most importantly, he's got a very good track record in one day international cricket, you know, taking Sri Lanka to a World well, Cup final. It's not a left field appointment in, in that sense. Well, it's like, uh, you know, another sports coach today, poor old Steve McLaren, who's been sacked by Derby. Ostensibly, it would be a peer because, because the media linked him routinely with the Newcastle job for, for a few months. <laughs> 
that's, I think he's come out and said, I hope I wasn't sacked because they thought I was going to take the Newcastle job. <laughs> uh, it's a bit like with Gillespie, wasn't it? It's just like this kind of the media appointment. It's going to go from bad to worse for McLaren. Sacked by Derby and now he's going to have to take the Newcastle job. <laughs> no, mate, we're going, we're, we're on the way to the top four. Uh, no, I think it's the Bayless appointment is a good one, isn't it? It's, it's encouraging that they've appointed someone who has, as you say, got that track record in, in one-day cricket, also been on the, the T20 beat for the last few years, in and around the engine room of cricket, really, at the moment, which is a bit like the IPL <laughs> and, the, and the Big Bash, isn't it? So, uh, so yeah. I love the expression, in and around. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't even really know what it means. Dash of, dash of irony. But that's got to be good. I mean, and, and a lot of people have come out and said, like, Brillsville, haven't they? I mean, Joe Warden has said, he thinks England will go right to the top again now with uh, Bayliss in charge. Uh, the noises that Bayliss has made, I don't know if you read the interview with him on uh, the ECB website today. Go on. He's making good noises, that's all I'll say. <laughs> well, I hope he actually uh, manages to turn those into speech uh, when he first meets the, the England team. I mean, some people have been upset that the ECB have appointed an Australian to coach England. Phil Tufnell seems baffled by that. Uh, what's your view on that? Are you, you know, are you are you anti Aussie taking the England job, or do you not care? I think it's too it's too late to care, isn't it? Really, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it definitely is in terms of this appointment. But like the the you know the the genie's out the bottle when it comes to you know, English sports teams being coached by overseas coaches. So yeah, you know, in a perfect world, we'd probably be you know we'd probably be coached by by an Englishman, but. No one's going to complain if we win the Ashes. Exactly. I'm not sure I really care. I, I was genuinely surprised to hear people care, but also... Yeah, me too. Yeah, because it, it, it's strange because no one seemed to really care that, you know, Duncan Fletcher or Andy Flower aren't English. It's just because he's Australian. But I, I find it bizarre that they... You know, Tufnell was saying things along the lines... That, I think this was when he was talking about Gillespie, but he was saying, you know, will Gillespie really want England to win the Ashes or would he be wanting Australia to win? And you think, well... That just seems so strange to me, the idea that he he can't get his head round the concept that he might, you know, it, that it might be his job to want England to care. I, I, I was really surprised to hear that, but, um, yeah, I don't think it matters in the least. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, half the England team isn't from England, it hasn't been for the last 10 years. So, yeah, it's, and, but that's not an issue, is it? That, for obvious reasons, this is the world now. You know, Canadians in charge of the Bank of England. There were a few, I was going to say, there are a few people complaining that the Green Party was run by, uh, by an Aussie. Right, before this gets all you, Kip, uh, I, <laughs> yeah. think, I think we should possibly look to wrap up, also because we started this in bright Definitely. sunshine and it's now pitch black where you are. So I don't know what's happened. Your, all your lights have gone out very, very quickly at your end. Yeah. You see, it's uh, still light a bit here. He's tilting the computer around. Oh, yeah. It really was bright. Is it just the sun's gone down? It's uh, basically what the Earth is doing. What the Earth's doing is it's sl- like slowly spinning on its axis. Okay. Uh, and it's good. basically it makes the sun look like it's going, kind of coming up and down. But actually, we're just spinning the other way. We're turning away the other way, mate. Now, what is the sun? <laughs> well, yeah. So I do want to wrap up, but just a very quick word on New Zealand. Um, I thought they this were... is the world cricket show after all. <laughs> uh, I thought they were desperately unlucky to end up on the losing side here because they put in a pretty fantastic performance. I mean, possibly we expect a little bit more from them, only in the sense that 
they have been so good. You know, I really thought that they were going to blow England away and they didn't, but that's probably more credit to to England than, you know, a, a poor effort from New Zealand because they had a lot of outstanding performances. Kane Williamson uh, with 100 in the first innings. BJ Watling, I thought, dug in really well on the final day. Matt Henry on debut was was excellent. Trent Bolt took nine wickets. Possibly the only one you could be a little bit disappointed in was Tim Southey, who obviously took 10 wickets in the corresponding match two years ago. It was really expensive here, and I really thought that he and Bolt would rip through England, but there's no reason why Southey won't come good in Headingley, and actually New Zealand in general might might come good at Headingley. Can you see them bouncing back and uh, levelling the series? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, there was a fair amount of chat, wasn't there, about the way New Zealand have kind of prepared for this, all the circumstances going into it, you know, McCullum coming in from the IPL. You know, things weren't perfectly set up for them in that sense, Uh and there were, there were some a couple of dodgy performances, you know. Mark Craig wasn't particularly good, was he? Didn't really do a huge amount. Uh, as you say, Saudi wasn't there quite, and you know, sort of often on the pitch a bit, on and off the pitch a bit. Uh, but other than that, you know, really they lost the game just right at the end. It was pretty unlucky, as far as I'm concerned, from their perspective. Although, I mean, saying that, the final day with about 20 overs to go, I mean, they could have dug in a bit more. I thought Saudi was starting to try and just slay the ball around, which I thought was a bit pointless. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange approach. And, you know, Trent Bolt getting caught at third man, or right at that point, with only one wicket left, still quite a lot of overs left to bat. It probably wasn't going to happen, but yeah. still a bit strange that he'd get caught out to that shot. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that if an England player did that, they'd just be ripped to smithereens. Yeah. Um, but, you know... When you look at that, the, the England, the great England tests, kind of the great escapes that England have put in over the last few years, you know... Anderson and Panazar, those kind of guys, you know, that's what they needed, really, just to block it out. They didn't do it. Yeah, so perhaps a little bit disappointing on the final day, but in general, a pretty good performance, I thought. And, you know, I would certainly, as you said earlier, put them, at the very least, joint favourites for this second and final test. It's a bit of a scandal that this test series is only two games long. It could easily be five, couldn't it? And I know, obviously, they plan these things a long way in advance, um, but it is it is disappointing because these are two very evenly matched sides by the looks of things. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would have worked, though, mate, would it? Well, not in this summer, no, because then it would be ten tests in a summer, but it's just it's just a shame that New Zealand never seemed to get more than, or never more than three, but, but not even three in England anymore. Well, yes, I think that's going to be about time to bring this to an end, Tone. Have you had fun tonight? You, are you relaxed enough now? I've enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I've just pulled myself back up out of my slumber. That was good. It's almost like therapy, really. I just kind of like lay back on the chair and, and got it all out. And I loom over you and, and yeah. ask you about your feelings about Joe Root. <laughs> How did you feel about Joe Root? Well, yes, that's it then. Uh, if listeners enjoy the podcast, if they enjoyed this podcast... Uh, there are various things that you can do to support this podcast. Uh, first of all, you could go onto our Facebook page, our online Facebook page, facebook.com slash cricket show. You can follow us on Twitter. The show account is at cricket show, where I tweet lots of really insightful things about the cricket. Uh, you can follow my personal account, is Adam Bayfield12, and Tony is at Tony Cover, T O N Y C V double R. Follow me on Instagram. Yes, it's Adam Bayfield. <laughs> We're posting pictures from Jersey. It's all very exciting. I've literally, I've posted about four pictures from Jersey. Uh, cumulatively, about two likes so far. So uh, 
People are loving it. Send us an email. People go mental. Show at gmail.com. Uh, we really appreciate it when people leave us reviews on iTunes and on Stitcher because that does help to attract new listeners to the show. Uh, and if you want to give us your money, there's a couple of things that you can do to support the show. Uh, firstly, when you're doing your shopping on Amazon, where if you go first of all to our online website, which is cricketshow.net, and press the Amazon button there, it doesn't cost you anything extra, but as you're doing your shopping, uh, we get a little bit of a kickback. And we also have World Cricket Show merch, cafepress.co.uk slash cricketshow. Uh, join all the cool kids and buy your T-shirts, hoodies, and boxer shorts today. Cool now! But yeah, that's it. Have you got anything lined up for this week, Tane? Uh, it's busy, really. Just really busy. Yeah, busy. Lots going on, isn't there? We did a book signing the other day for our book. Listeners may remember that me and Tony have got a book, The Guernsey Beach Guide, uh, which we released around Christmas, and we're still trying to vlog to people. Guernseybeachguide.com. Um, Indeed, if Welcome Show listeners want to buy their own copy and learn all about Guernsey's beaches. Uh, but yeah, we did a book signing the other day, uh, me, you and our, our designer, Ollie, um, at a garden centre, <laughs> which was a little bit spinal tap or a little bit uh, a little bit partridge. Yeah. But it was good, wasn't it? I mean, you, you turned up late, you sauntered in 10 minutes late. <laughs> We'd already managed to sell... I mean, they'd absolutely, yeah. they'd been absolutely flying off the shelves. I think we'd sold one book when you turned up. Cavalry arrived. <laughs> and sold about one more. <laughs> I think I sold about half a dozen, actually, in the end. <laughs> no, we did sell a few, didn't we? Uh, it's funny, because it turns into a bit of a competition between you, me, and Ollie. It's like The uh, Apprentice. Well, it's not much of a competition. Oh, yeah, exactly. I don't know who we'd have fired. It was quite funny at being at a garden centre. I mean, I think we were caught off guard a little bit, just because previous things that we've done where we've been selling the book, it's either been like you know, Christmas shopping time. We had a stall at the Christmas shopping, didn't we? Late night shopping. Uh, and, you know, people are looking for gifts. So, you know, they're in the market for something. We've done a couple of book signings at bookshops. And again, people are there, they're looking to buy a book. But this, people were at a garden centre buying, like, courgette plants and stuff and we were trying to vlog them this book. Do encounter some strange attitudes of people. Yeah, kind of, yeah, did my hard sell approach to some woman. Oh, have you seen the uh, Guernsey Beach Guide? We're uh, we're here with. Oh, well, I'm here. You know, this is where my patter goes wrong. You know, I'm here with my uh, friends Adam and Ollie. We we produced it, kind of put it out around about Christmas time. Uh, just down here selling it, signing copies today. And she was like, "No, nah, not not really." No, that's it. She's like, "Oh, I'm not from around. I'm not from around here. I'm not from Guernsey." And I was like, oh, "Okay, but still perfect. I mean, like, nice. Have you been to any of the beaches? Uh, like, do you want to take a little memento back to remember the island by?" And she was like, "No, nah, not really." And then she kind of paused for me. She's like, "Do you know where the ant? Do you know where the ant killer is?" <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, I encountered more than one person who thought I was just an employee of the garden centre. Can I interest you in the Guernsey Beach Guide? Absolutely not. But do you know where the hosing is? <laughs> anyway, uh, on that note, I think it's time to draw a line under this week's show. Uh, but we will see you all next time to talk about the second test at Headingley. So lots to look forward to. But until then, that's all from me. That's all from Tony. Stay in school, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye for now. Cheers. Bye.
softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.